Hello, good morning to you. Uh, today I'm going to be taking us through the book Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. Here it is, <clears throat> Dare to Lead. And if I have like three seconds of your attention, um, I'll sum it up by a quote she, or, or, or paraphrase, <clears throat> by saying that courage in this context is having, having the courage to show up when you don't know the outcome. When there's no determined outcome and the outcome's not clear and you can show up, that's courage. That's what this book is about. Um, I'll, I'll just stay with summing it up for a moment. This book is a little bit more geared towards the workplace than the you know, home or uh, domestic environment. And for me, that's a big plus. I've always seen the correlation between the home and family and the workplace. We spend most of our time at work sorry, we, that's a generalization. Those that work spend a great deal of time at work and the workplace, the colleagues uh, and so on, that's a community, that's an environment, that's a family of sorts. So I think this is tremendously relevant. So if you're new to Brené Brown, which you're probably not, but just in case you are, who, <laughs> who is she? Who is she? Well, <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting question because most people have seen or at least are aware that she did a TED talk back, gosh, six, seven years ago. Tremendously success, tremendously popular, um, millions and millions of views. And so most people think of her as a speaker and the author, which of course she is. She's published uh, five or six books by this point. Uh, she's got the Netflix, uh, Netflix special, of course. Um, very, very much in the zeitgeist of new thought and uh, contemporary self-development, right? Um, she's known to be the uh, uh, Houston, but I, what, what I wasn't so aware of through reading this book is she's, um, she, she, she does a tremendous amount of work in the field of leadership with CEOs and, and you know, companies you've heard of like Pixar and um, you know, some of the British banks and so on, like big stuff. And they're not bringing her in because she's popular, they're bringing her in because she's good. And she is coming in to speak on, she comes in to speak and coach and educate on the field of vulnerability, not in the hand-wavy, cozy, uh, sweet, uh, um, uh, latte-waving um, uh, sense that vulnerability is, is, is considered, but in the context of this is what makes things happen or not happen. This is what makes things work or this is what makes things fall apart. Um, <clears throat> if you've been watching me do these reviews over the last few months, let me say that this is the first book I've actually recommended to um, some peers of mine that we're working on some really long-term, a long, long, long-term projects on. Because um, I, don't, I don't tend to do that. I'll recommend books to, to clients and so on in sessions when I feel like more, more um, more information, context on something would help or serve them. But uh, you know, to friends and so on, I, <laughs> what right have I got? Um, so I really very much believe in the message, messages in this book. Um, I can't sum Brene Brown up in one, in one context. I should have said wife, uh, mother. Um, she applies herself into so many different ways and expressions. Having been listening on and off to Brené Brown over the years, 
<laughs> I have to say, I am fascinated by who her husband is. She's very, she's very forthright in sharing about areas of her life and, and honest and authentic about it. Um, and often shares about dialogue she has with her husband. I'm always amazed at the, at the wisdom and presence that her husband has. And of course, that, that's, that's a reflection of them having been married a long time, like 20, 30 years by this point. Each of them knowing, each of them knowing themselves very well and each other very well. And, uh, and, and, it's, and it's fascinating to get, uh, she's very also, I think, generous <laughs> um, in, in reflecting the dialogues between her and her husband, but it's, uh, it's illuminating, certainly. Anyway, anyway, on to the book, on to the book. If you just jumped on, this is what we're doing today. So, um, this is a leadership book, and, you know, there, there are, I'm forgetting his name now, oh, how embarrassing. There's someone that's so well known in the field of leadership, his uh, name is escaping me right now. John someone, it was so embarrassing. Anyway, I think of that guy a bit more in the field of leadership than I do with her, with Brené Brown. But um, this, is, uh, this, is a, this is a book geared to leadership and the field of um, corporate training, shall we say. So, what's the relevance? What's the relevance? Because one, one of you watching might not be at work. Might not have worked for a while. What's the relevance? What's it got to do? John Maxwell, thank you, Randy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, absolutely. What's the relevance to this if you don't work? Well, the relevance to this is that, look, you're probably a member of a family. You're probably a member of a group of friends. You might be a member of a church group or something like that or something like that. And your voice matters and it counts. Even if you're none of those, you're a member of the human race and uh, if you're watching this on Facebook right now, we're all uh, um, <laughs> having an interesting experience with Facebook this year, aren't we? Social media. How are we going to share and express our voice? How are we going to? How are we going to? How are we going to give our voice in a way that it will be heard and received? Right? Because there's a lot of venting going on and so on. So I find it tremendously relevant right now, and every one of our voices are tremendously important, right? How I'm going to cover this book, rather than going through chapters as I have, uh, as, as summing up chapters as I have done with books in the past, I'm actually going to just go through themes, because there's a lot in here. Um, this, is, this is a book I'm going to, you know, in, over the course of my life, read probably three or four times, because she uh, conveys and explains some of these themes really, really well, and I find it very important. So, getting out the gate then, what does courage have to do with vulnerability? What does vulnerability have to do with courage? Well, for those, say, leading companies and leading teams, and I'm just going to read a couple of things off here. <clears throat> What's happening in leadership where there isn't courage is the tough conversations are getting avoided, um, uh, productive feedback's not happening, um, trust is lower, risks, risks aren't being taken, you know, the creative risks aren't being taken, um, people getting stuck in failure, setback, disappointments, which happens, doesn't it? It all happens. Um, more time is spent on shame and blame than accountability. Uh, the solutions that people think of are unsustainable, they're ineffective, they don't work, or they're, 
is just slapped together. Um, of course, all there's all then there's things like perfectionism, competition, and all of that. That's what ha that's what's happening when there isn't vulnerability and courage coming from the top. So, she tells this story about uh, going to speak at a military base. I think in the Midwest. This this must have been quite recently. And you can just imagine Brenny Brown showing up to a military base and just being met by thousands of stony faces. So. At one point she says, can anyone give me an example where of, of, of an act of courage that did not require vulnerability and risk? And no one says anything. It's like silence, cricket, cricket, cricket. And then at some point someone sticks up their hand and says, no, can't think of any examples, right? These are soldiers, right? These are soldiers. These aren't... These aren't um, um, you know, it's not a church group, that's what I'm trying to say. So, she gets into talking about the, 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 the range of differing opinions about, about, about uh, courage and leadership. Because there's a lot of uh, those, those in the field of, those, a lot of the leaders she spoke to said, well, courage, it's a, it's a trait. You've either got it or you don't. And she's saying this is not true. Courage is a skill and you can learn it and you can practice it and develop it. Um, yeah, maybe look at that later. So I'm going to talk about vulnerability now because this is, um, this is not her first book. And I think vulnerability is not fully understood what it is and what it's not. And she actually talks about this. And she said, I think the, 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 the part that caught my attention was she says, yeah, vulnerability is not gratuitous oversharing. Just because you feel like being vulnerable or you're willing to be vulnerable or you say you're willing to be vulnerable doesn't mean it's the right person, doesn't mean it's the right context to do so. Um, vulnerability requires trust. And trust requires vulnerability. I'm just going to say that again. Elephants above. <laughs> vulnerability requires trust, and trust requires vulnerability. Um, she gives a she gives a, tells a lovely story about uh, I think one of her kids at, at the school that one of her kids go to goes to. And in her class, in her daughter's class, each kid has a um, a, a glass of marbles, right? And every time someone in the class does something kind or shows up, they put another marble in the, in the jar. And every time the opposite happens, they take it out. And the point being that uh, as the jar fills up or, or doesn't, it's incremental. It's made up of little steps. And she's saying, Brenny Brown is saying, the trust is not, you don't generate trust immediately. You can't build trust like that. You build trust incrementally in small, small amounts, by small acts repeatedly, is how you grow trust. The relevance of this <clears throat> is, let's say in the, in the, in the, in the corporate environment, or oh, you know, screw it, just in life, often people, often people will use the T word, trust, when in a crisis. And at that point, it's usually too late, isn't it? You know, marriage isn't working, um, uh, someone lets you down, Someone, someone, someone breaks your trust, lies to you, whatever. Too late to say. It's too late to lead with the, hey, trust me. No, you've got to build up trust continually and repeatedly when it's not 
when it's not needed, as it were. And that's how you build relationships. Um, okay. Um, hard conversations are a big part of uh, a big what well, a big part of this book and a big part of our lives, isn't it? I'm sure some of you have hard conversations to have today. <laughs> never mind, never mind uh, this lifetime. The hard conversations to have today. Um, Brenny Brown's got the uh, got the buzz buzzy terms. Um, she's good at that. So um, one one that caught my attention here is treasure hunting. So it is makes it easier to go and have a hard conversation, to go have a challenging conversation if you're treasure hunting. That is to say, you know what you're looking for. Because, um, by the way, <laughs> you guys know I'm doing this in one shot. That sound you're hearing is the sump pump. The sump pump. We've just had a ton of rain here. Uh, I don't have someone flushing the toilet just here. <laughs> um, um, I'm, I'm just doing this completely live and that sound's gonna happen probably about 10 more times while we're together here. Anyway, hard conversations easier when you know what your when you know what the outcome you want to happen is no that's incorrect when you know what you're serving the two of you to achieve that's fairer to say that's fair to say because why don't people have tough conversations they get stuck on the first part of it it's like that first part of it is a transient thing it's a station on the way to another destination um, so she calls it treasure hunting, and it's easier to push through challenging things when you when you know the treasure, as in someone feeling better, that you're looking for. Um, when you have a hard conversation, it reveals what's going on going on under the surface. But I want to say something about this. I want to say something about this that under the surface is not a it's not a static thing. You can have an emotion that's just under the surface, of course, we often do. But I often observe that, I often observe that some of the stuff going on on the surface is almost like an abscess. It's, it's deeper than that. I've had conversations this week. People, people don't realize they've got fears about someone dying. Um, they don't realize they have fears about being lied to, being stolen from, taken from. Uh, illness and all of that and that's lower that's beneath beneath the surface I hope this is making sense it's 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 so deep you don't know it's there but you can feel it's there and it's influencing your thoughts and and um, behavior and so on so open communication um, let me get back on back on track here open communication as she calls it um, solves that resolves that but more importantly, it prevents things from happening. And that I think is the, that I think is the revolutionary idea in the field, in the corporate um, um, or team related environment. That if the, the more that open communication is fostered and not, forgive me, the bullshit open communication, you've all had someone going, hey man, I'm gonna be real right now or something like that. It's like, <laughs> we all know when someone's being authentic and when they're not. So open communication will prevent things going on down the line. Um, it's, and it's a lot easier, it's a lot easier to prevent something than to unwind, fix and resolve it. Um, one of her expressions here is to lead with heart, not with hurt. 
So to lead with receptivity, openness, um, compassion, as it were, rather than hurt of the past. Let me give you an example. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example. I should have, should have said this earlier. So, she, from the book. So she's giving a, um, one of her talks a few years ago, and this guy bounds up to her at the end and says, yep, I know what I've got to do. I'm ready, I know what I've got to do. <laughs> Which is exactly the sort of um, reaction you don't have when you know you've got to do something difficult. <laughs> so she says to her, okay, what, you, what are you going to do? And she said, and I think this was a CEO or, 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 or senior executive, as it were. He says, I'm going to go to my board and I'm going to tell my board that we don't know what we're doing and we're hemorrhaging money. And she says, well, slow down, slow down. Do you really think your board are the best people to say that to? And he pauses. And she says, she says, I think you should do that. I think you should be vulnerable and do that. But I think you should go, first of all, to a mentor of some sorts and get that out and begin to generate some solutions and then go to the board with that honesty. Because it would be, it would be going against the interest of the organization, the board and, and, and all of that, the company, to to continue going down a road because you, you don't want to admit that you're wrong, okay? But even, but, but even better than that is to go with a solution and that honesty, right? That's um, what I'm trying to explain here. So um, the next thing to talk about is shame and empathy. Um, if it's one word that I associate with Brené Brown being good at being very supportive with, it's the subject of shame. Shame makes people feel unworthy. Uh, even before I really knew much about Brené Brown, the thing I would hear people quoting all the time is, um, guilt is, guilt is I have done something bad, shame is I am bad, right? Shame is, shame is, uh, shame is sucky. And empathy is the antidote to that important subject to talk about is what is empathy? What is empathy? <laughs> because here's what empathy is not. Empathy is, empathy, you know, you ever, you ever shared something with a friend or a member of family, colleague or something about something that's going on and they immediately launch in with, oh yeah, that same thing happened to me. Or um, maybe they Maybe they, maybe you see a reaction on their face, or they start trying to fix, or they start trying to advise you. All of that is not empathy. Empathy is being with someone when they're being open with you, just being with them. I'm not going to get into the energetics of it right now. I'm not going to get into the metaphysics of it right now. That's not that conversation. But to quote uh, Brené Brown, Empathy is connection to emotion, not experience. She's got an interesting timing figure. She says eight seconds. Eight seconds is the amount of time that you have to sit through discomfort before something changes. And it's interesting because I would have said it was more like two minutes. 
but I trust her because she's looked at like 400,000 pieces of data and I haven't, <laughs> right? But if you think about why you don't want to uh, uh, open up or, or, or share or any of these things, it's because of discomfort, isn't it? Of some sort. She's saying that degree of discomfort, that, that painful discomfort only lasts for eight seconds. And then it, then it gradually gets better. But with regard to empathy, which is the antidote to shame, she says, and I, I agree with that, it is, if you want to have empathy for someone, then it's being with them, it's holding the space, which makes it okay, if I sum it up, rather than, rather than vocally, uh, vocally commenting on it. Right, okay. Um, I'll talk about confidence. That's a, um, that's a, that's a big area that um, shows up in this book. Of course, uh, practice, practice builds it. Practice builds confidence. Practicing being, practicing vulnerability, practicing using your voice, practicing sharing. And I'll say it again, what does all this mean? What are you practicing? You're practicing, you're practicing risking, showing up, using your voice, even though you don't know what is going to happen. That's what you're practicing. I've, I noticed the word curiosity showing up a lot in this book. Um, uh, what's it got to do with confidence in this case? Is curiosity helps us learn from our mistakes, right? Curiosity helps us ask questions. Um, a vulnerable leader, strong leader, is going to be asking questions. They're not going to think they're right all the time. They're not going to think they know what to do all the time. Um, a strong leader asks for help. And, and I'll say again, everyone's a leader. Everyone's a leader. A leader doesn't mean the boss. A leader means showing, showing up with as much of yourself as you can and you have. Um, when with that, it helps us reframe failure as a learning experience. And I'll give you one of her examples on that. CEO of Old Navy. That's it. Old Navy. Old Navy wasn't doing well. This is just a few years ago. And what, and, and forgive me, I, I, the name's not coming to mind. I don't think it matters. CEO decided to let go of good and bad, as it were. And, in, and, and periodically, regularly and periodically, they'd have reviews, team meetings from micro to the macro, and would continually reframe the, uh, uh, the out, these outcomes, these periodic outcomes as learning experiences. And fast forward three years later, um, they, uh, sales had increased by a billion dollars. A billion dollars, right? That's a lot. That's a lot. That speaks to it. So what's happening as you're reframing and you're not blaming and you're holding accountable and things are not positive or negative is people are staying upbeat. They're staying confident. They're not thinking they've done a bad job. They're, they're feeling included. They're feeling belonging. There's inclusion. And, and that is what I'd say uh, generates a billion dollars in this example. Talk about values now. If any of what I'm saying is interesting to you, then maybe at some point head over to her website because there's lots of resources that complement this book on there. One of them is a list of 100 values. So, so what she suggests in this book is you go there 
and you whittle down those 100 values down to two because she says we need to be able to name our values, name our values. So here's what happens when you, when you go there. Um, she says when she takes people through this, um, usually they have a tough time with it and they end up with like 15. But she said, no, 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 whittle it down to two because if you have lots of values, you don't really have values. So um, uh, when I did this, I, uh, I whittled 100 down to 20, and then I whittled 20 down to 18, right? So I was like, hmm, need to do better at this. Whittled 18 down to six, and then I got down to two. And if you're interested, uh, if you're interested in, in what my values that I, I'm aware are from this, it is courage, and it is, oh my God, my brain. <laughs> so embarrassed. Oh dear, I just did this as well. Fairness, courage and fairness is what I realised mine was. And I say realised because I don't know if I would have thought of that. But uh, what's this got to do with courage and vulnerability and everything? What's got to do with it is you know what your values are because you align to them. And you know what your values are when you don't. And it's like a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's like a slimy feeling when you know you should do something, but you don't. And she calls that the slippery behaviours. Um, when you know what your values are, you can augment that. You can augment that. You can become more of it. And, uh, and that's, uh, uh, that's where values come into it. Values what? Values is all over this, but... Um, Okay, on we go, on we go. <laughs> uh, she's got a section, she talks about shitty first drafts. Shitty first drafts, there we go. She's not afraid of the S word, I like that. Shitty first drafts, what does this mean? Well, this is, this is on the subject of, we've all, got a, we've all got this story in our head that plays out when we have a reaction, right? Someone's, someone's lying to us, um, uh, someone's trying to control us. Um, I'm really bad at that, okay? Um, she, she conveys it to, um, let's say, the first time you write a story or, or, or you give a commentary on it. It's the shitty first draft you do before you edit it, before it's edited, before it's edited. And it's um, your, uh, your extremely honest feelings. It's a long part of the book, which I'm not, I'm not going to even try and condense here. But the exercise is to say to yourself, what's the story I'm telling myself? What's the story I'm making up here? Because there is one, there is one. When you know what that is, you can start to be skeptical about it. When you know what that shitty first draft is or the story you're making up and telling yourself, you've got some detachment from it. You've got some um, uh, cool observance on it. And in her team, teams rather, um, they'll say this to each other. They'll say, what's the story you're making up about this? What's the story playing out in your head about this? And they'll say that to each other. Um, they'll say that to each other. So, um, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna read a couple of sections from it. Short sections, okay? Um, I really like this. I really like this one because uh, no one likes being criticized, do they? And so let me quote, let me, let me read this to you. Um, if you're not in the arena getting your ass kicked on occasion, then I'm not interested in or open to your feedback. 
There are a million cheap seats in the world today, filled with people who will never be brave with their lives, but who will spend every ounce of energy they have hurtling advice and judgment at those who dare greatly. Their only contributions are criticism, cynicism and fear-mongering. If you're criticizing from a place where you're not also putting yourself on the line, I'm not interested in what you have to say. Okay? So what she's also saying there is she is interested in the opinions of people who are putting themselves on the line, who are uh, daring, who are risking, who are um, um, showing up. Right? And that's important, that's important to note because I forget who said this, but you know, why do we take advice from people who aren't doing what we do? <laughs> the, the last thing I'm going to quote from here, and, uh, and, and I'm, uh, yeah, it's, she's talking about self-trust and she has an acronym for developing this called, which, which uh, the word, the word anachronizes, if I'm using it correctly, to braving, B-R-A-V-I-N-G. And it's B for boundaries, R for reliability, A for accountability, V for vault, I for integrity, N for non-judgment, and G for generosity. And let me just, let me just um, explain what a couple of those words mean in this context. Um, so there's V, boundaries I'm sure we all know what that means. Vault, V-A-U-L-T, vault. What she's saying there is um, if someone shares something with you in confidence, you keep it in confidence. And so if someone happens to walk into your room or phone you up and tell you what someone else just did and they're betraying their confidence, well, they're probably going to betray yours as well. And so it's for us to look at, well, where do we share about something that's not our business to share and keep it in the vault and cultivate our own, our own self-trust. So then there's non-judgment, the N of braving. Um, it's, not about, it's not about being non-judgmental to other people or people being non-judgmental to us. Because um, you ever heard someone say, yeah, I'm not judging you. And it's like, a bullshit. <laughs> you just did, and you just told me you did. That's what, that's what people are doing when they say they're not judging you. So it's not about that. It's about, um, and I'll just quote it here. Did I ask for help when I needed it? Was I judgmental about needing help? Did I practice non-judgment with myself? Um, oh, hell, I'll just, I'll just read a couple more things out. Boundaries. Did I respect my own boundaries in the situation? Was I clear with myself and others about what's okay and what's not okay? Um, yeah, all right, all right. She's got this expression, uh, rumbling with vulnerability. And that's in, that's in this book a lot, a lot. I, ch I, did, I thought I wouldn't lead with that because it, I feel like background's got to be explained first. So rumbling with vulnerability. It's that messy, moving in the right direction experience when you know you've got to address something, you know you've got to look at something head on. Rumbling with vulnerability. What I'll say about that what she means by that is it always eventually arrives where it should do 
where it should do. My very dear friend Christiella, she's got another expression. She says uh, her expression is uh, moving molecules. So like when you don't know what to do, exactly what to do, then you just do something in the vague direction of it and that will help move molecules in the, in the direction you're moving into. Um, she's got her own process about how to move through things in here. I don't know that I, I don't know that I love it, but, but you know what? I, I think this is, I think this is a good work. I really do. I really do. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to beat on it. Um, anything else to say in here? Uh, just a couple of, just a couple of things I'll, I'll, I'll throw in. She tells a story about someone who, who was speaking at, to a group of airmen, okay? Um, and someone spoke up and said, you know, we are exhausted. We're so, so tired. And the, uh, the, 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 the speaker thought for a while, reflected on a review, an article she'd read in the Harvard Business Review, that sometimes loneliness can feeling lonely can lead to the experience of exhaustion fatigue and tiredness and so she said this and then and, and then said can i see can i see hands is anyone experiencing loneliness and every hand goes up every single hand goes up and then she had a bit of a, a challenge with herself in in in, um, in conveying this but she sure as hell got there and addressed the concept the feeling of loneliness in several other groups, uh, several other groups of airmen and women, and well, fostered connection. And uh, what I'm trying to say is, the connection with that feeling was something that's not going to be put in some of these clinical manuals or buzzwordy terms, is it? Last thing I'll say: she talks about the concept of armor, wearing armor, and. Uh, <laughs> that, that caught my attention because I just watched, uh, for the second time, I watched The Mandalorian. I don't know if you've seen that. And in The Mandalorian, this guy is covered in armor from head to toe the whole way through. And it's in the final, final episode where he actually takes off his mask, his helmet, and you actually see his face. And it's, and it's kind of an analogy for the journey that that character is going through, of being, of covering himself up from the world, um, hiding, um, or like we, or like we might um, defend ourselves from um, perceived criticism, or people finding something out about us, or whatever it is. But you know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. She says this. I'll say this. It's exhausting to walk around with armor on. No, we all do it. I do it. I do it. And part of my part of my everyday and long-term missions in life is to have less and less and less because it's such a waste and drain of energy. Um, so again I'll say the courage to be vulnerable is showing up when you can't predict the outcome. Every single one of the eight billion of us have that experience in some way shape or form every day. And so that is Dare to Lead by Renee Brown. There's lots of resources on the on her website, like a workbook, um, glossary. I find this I find this tremendously relevant. I suggest you check it out. 
Um, so I hope that's been supportive in some way. And uh, I wish you a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful rest of the day, a wonderful weekend. Uh, God bless you all. And um, for those who want to, I'll see you Monday. <laughs>